In the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, right? As soon as you open up to the beginning of the Bible, you got the book of Genesis. We read that God creates. He creates the world. He speaks it into existence. And everything that God creates is good. Everything he creates is good. That includes the creation of Adam and Eve. Everything God created was good. But in Genesis 3, sin enters the narrative, right? Sin enters the narrative. Man rebels against God. And sin not only damages our connection with God, but also our connection with everything around us and our relationships. And what we read through the rest of the Bible and what we experience in our current reality is a constant pull. Is a constant pull towards satisfying our sinful desires. Everything inherently anti-God and against his original design is constantly battling for our devotion. This is why Paul first mentioned in the beginning. He mentioned in the beginning of his letter uh, to the Ephesians that we were dead. We were dead in our sins and our transgressions. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. We were spiritually dead. That is until God in his great love for us and his great mercy provided a way for us to have our relationship with him restored through Jesus. Paul said it this way. He said that we were made alive in Christ. You guys remember that? Spoke about that last year when we first started Ephesians. We were made alive in Christ. Jesus humbled himself and died in our place. And with his death, he purchased our our ransom and paid the debt that our sin caused. And when we come to Christ, there's an exchange that happens. When you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when you surrender your life to him, there's an exchange that happens. We exchange our former sin-stained garment for the purity and righteousness of Jesus. This happens the moment we put our faith and trust in him. That exchange happens. Then we moved into the part of the letter where Paul tries to explain to us that yes, we have received this wonderful gift of God's grace. Yes, we are renewed. Yes, we are forgiven. Yes, we are redeemed. But this inward renovation also leads to experience and outward change as well. We experience this great inward change. We experience God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. We experience all of that. But all that change that happens inside compels us and leads us to change on the outside as well. We're in week three of our series called Renew, No Longer the Same, and we've reached the super practical part of Ephesians, the rich theology that we've learned about God's grace and mercy and forgiveness in Christ. Here's what should be happening. It should be traveling from our minds, from our brains. It should be traveling down into our hearts, and then ultimately we should be fleshing and living it out with our lives. That's what should be happening. We receive God's grace and mercy. It's in our brain. It goes down into your heart and ultimately impacts what you do with your hands and feet and the rest of your body. And we've definitely come to a part of Ephesians that is difficult. It's it's hard. And it's difficult for a couple of reasons. First of all, we love to hear good news, right? Who doesn't like hearing good news? So when we hear good news, of course we want to accept it. Nobody has a problem receiving good news. But who enjoys bad news? Right? Nobody does. Who actually enjoys being corrected? Nobody likes that. We want good news all the time. We want praise. But when somebody pulls our cards, we get defensive, don't we? We get very defensive. And then that's when we take that verse in scripture, we take it out of context, and we say, you, you can't judge me. Right? Don't, the Bible says don't judge. Right? We get defensive. Which leads me to the second reason we might find this section of Ephesians difficult. 
you have to come to the conclusion whether or not the Bible is applicable and relevant. You have to decide that. What I mean by this is that do you accept and approve the parts of the Bible that approve and applaud your life choices, but then reject, ignore, and overlook the parts that don't? Do you accept the parts of the Bible that, oh yeah, I like this because it, it confirms everything I live in my life. I don't like this part of the Bible because it, it, it contradicts the way I want to live. Paul is going to share with us some more ways the gospel compels us to live out. And when he challenges us on our views of sexuality and morality and attitude, he's not trying to be a buzzkill. He's not. When we're challenged by God's word to live, think, and act differently, it's not because he's trying to ruin your life. It's not not what God's trying to do. If anything, it's the opposite. What we should take away from it all is that God's way is so much better. God's original design is so much better. And when we live our lives according to God's word, it brings him glory. But beyond bringing God glory, it's also for your good. Living life in obedience to God is not a strain. Guys, it is good. So if you guys are ready, we're going to jump. As that is our introduction, we're going to jump right into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And we're going to look at everything that Paul teaches us here in these verses. He's going to teach us five different ways that we should live. Five different ways that we should live. Here's number one in your notes. You can write this down. Live as loved children. Live as loved children. He says it this way, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It's up on the screen. It's in your notes so that you can follow along. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Be imitators of God. Now, obviously, if you guys just real quick, um, underline there in your notes, underline be imitators of God. Now, Paul isn't telling us to imitate God by being omnipotent and all-knowing, to be beyond space, matter, and time, because you can't do that, obviously, right? That's not what Paul is saying when he says, imitate God. So then what does he mean? Well, Paul is going to help us understand a little bit more in the next verse exactly what he's talking about. But but here's what you got to know, that Jesus gives us the perfect example of being an imitator of God. And so we follow his lead and we follow his example. Being an imitator of God, we follow Jesus' example. But take a look at the verbiage that Paul uses in this verse. He says that we are dearly loved children. Would you guys just circle that part right there in your your notes that we are dearly loved children? We are dearly loved children. It echoes what Paul mentioned way back. You guys remember this? Uh, We just read Ephesians 5.1. Put it upside down, Ephesians 1.5. Look what it says. He predestined us to be what? To be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And Paul is just echoing back to us. And this is why I love this reminder. Because before we jump into what we do, we have to remember who we are. And that is that we are dearly loved children. We are dearly loved children. We are adopted into the family of God by Jesus' perfect work on the cross. Here's why this is important. Who you are determines what you do. Let me say that one more time. Who you are determines what you do. In other words, your identity determines your actions. 
in your identity, guys, is no longer rooted in your former self. So we spoke about two weeks ago, right? When Paul talked about the former way and the new way, the new self. He said, put off the former way. That's your former self. Your identity is no longer rooted in your former self. Your identity is rooted in your new self. It's rooted in who you are in Christ. Who are you in Christ? You're dearly loved children. And if you are dearly loved children, then wouldn't you want to imitate that loving father? Paul says, be imitators of God. What child that is loved, what child that is cherished, what child that is protected and cared for and embraced wouldn't want to be like their dad? What kid wouldn't want to be like their dad if they experienced all that? You know, unfortunately, guys, we live in a day and age where there's so much fatherlessness, especially here in this community. You know, God bless those single moms that work their tail off to provide for the children. But the lack of a father in a home leaves a serious vacuum that is very hard to fill. But as children of God, we're not abandoned. We're not orphaned. We are not abused. We're not disregarded. You are adopted. You are adopted as dearly loved children. And so as dearly loved children, be imitators of God. Live as a loved child. Here's the second thing that Paul says in your notes. Live in Christ's example of love. <coughs> Excuse me. Live in Christ's example of love. He says it this way, Ephesians 5 verse 2. It says this. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. You see, Christ's love is the ultimate example for us to follow. How much did Jesus love us? How much did he love us? The Bible says elsewhere that greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. What's even more amazing about Christ giving himself for us is that he didn't lay down his life for us when we were his friend. He laid down his life for us when we were enemies of God, the Bible says. We weren't friends. We were enemies. We were spiritually dead in our sin and our transgression. And Jesus gave up his life for us when we were in that condition. Christ's love for us, guys, is sacrificial. How different is that compared to how we sinfully extend love to others, right? You see, oftentimes our love comes with strings attached, doesn't it? Right? I'll extend love to you if you extend love back to me. Or I'll extend love to you once I find out what's in it for me. Then I'll extend you some love. It comes with strings attached. But Jesus' love wasn't like that. Jesus' love was sacrificial. And he was the only person that could rightfully put upon himself the sin of the world. He lived a perfect and sinless life, yet he died a criminal's death. He was in heaven on the throne, ruling and reigning rightfully as he should have been. But of his own will and out of his great love for you and for me, he willingly put himself into the grasp of death to take our place on the cross. And so we follow Jesus' example. We model our lives after his. We walk in, we live out, we dwell in Christ's example of sacrificial love. How does that flesh out? How does that look like? Instead of selfishness, we extend generosity. Instead of expecting in return, we freely and sacrificially love. Instead of modeling our lives after whatever celebrity is trending on Twitter or whatever friend that you secretly envy on Instagram, we model our lives after Jesus. 
and we walk in love. We live as dearly loved children. We live in Christ's example of love. And here's number three. We live as saints. We live as saints. Here's what it says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed shouldn't even be heard among you as is proper for saints. Notice once again how Paul reminds us of our identity. He says as is proper for what? As is proper for what? Let me say it one more time. As proper as for? All right. Welcome to church. Welcome to Swerve. <laughs> as proper for saints. He reminds us our identity. He reminds us who we are in Christ. And in Christ we are what? We are saints. In Christ we are saints. He echoes again what he said earlier. You guys remember this? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul opens up the whole letter to the book of Ephesians. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful what? Saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. You see, in Christ, we are saints. We've been made righteous by Jesus' perfect work on the cross. So as saints, we don't follow the same thought and behavior patterns as the rest of the world. No, no, no. We have an authority we submit to. We submit to God's standards and we obey His word because we are saints. What in particular is Paul warning us as saints not to participate in? What are the three things he says? He says not to participate. He says sexual immorality. He says impurity and greed. What is sexual immorality? What is that? Well, it's abusing God's original design for sex intended to be between one man, one woman in marriage for life. That's the way God designed that to be. And sexual immorality is everything else that, that falls outside of those confines. Everything else that falls outside of those confines. This would include adultery, which is unfaithfulness to a marriage. This would include fornication, which is doing married things when not being married. This is things like cohabitating or co-living, playing husband and wife when you're not. The world would have you believe that it's not a big deal. It's a natural part of life after all, isn't it? So you go ahead and seek as many partners as you can. After all, marriage is a big deal. You, how, how are you going to know that it's going to be enjoyable? You don't buy a car without test driving it first, right? And I'd say, no, we echo what Paul says. No, that's not how saints live. We answer to a higher power. We'd rather obey God than obey man. The word translated, if you guys circle the word right there in your notes, circle the word sexual immorality. It's from the Greek word porneia. Porneia. And it's where we get our root word for pornography. The term is more of an all-encompassing word. Paul is basically saying all types of sexual immorality, knock it off. That's what he's saying. This also includes motives and thoughts and desires. That's why Paul uses the word impurity. Do you guys see that? Because it includes lustful thoughts. It includes impure motives. Here's the way Jesus said it. Why don't you guys read this verse with me? It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 28. This is, these are Jesus' words. If you have a red letter Bible, these words are in red. Are you guys ready? Read. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, 
Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart, in his heart. He's already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, it's not simply the act that is sinful, but the very thought, the very motive, and the intention. And Paul says, guys, we shouldn't be this way. We should follow the example of Christ. We should live as saints because that is our new identity. So we don't follow the rest of the world. We don't follow the world's pattern and what they believe in their worldview about this. We follow God's example. We follow God's word. We submit to that. Here's the fourth thing that Paul says. He says, live in thanks. Live in thanks. Says it this way in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. Says this, obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. You see, Paul moves from our thoughts and our actions to our speech. And as followers of Jesus, our speech should be reflective of our new identity. In other words, the way you talk should be reflective of who you are in Christ. The words that come out of your mouth. Now, we live in New York City where it seems like everyone has a potty mouth, right? It's so funny to me because I've been around it my whole life. I barely even notice it. Uh, you know, F-bombs and whatever. It doesn't even bother me. I've been around it my whole life. But when I travel down south or when I go somewhere else, I realize how big of a deal it is. Now, obviously, we can look at this verse and we can say, hey, don't talk like a sailor and watch the potty mouth. And I think you'd be correct if we interpreted this passage that way. But if we look deeper, if we remember the context of what Paul's talking about, he's talking about what? He's talking about sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. So that means even more specifically, he's talking to those sexual and crude jokes. Instead, what should we do? We should give thanks. The opposite of crude jokes, vulgar language is giving thanks. Give thanks, live a life of gratitude. Now, you know, perhaps you're scratching your head and you're like, what does a Thanksgiving prayer have to do with this? Well, we can look at this verse and I can just as easily tell you, hey, have an attitude of gratitude and give thanks for everything. And that would be 100% correct. You should have an attitude of gratitude and you should thank God for all that you have. But in light of what Paul is talking about here, I want you to help you see something, okay? Are you guys with me? I know it's a tough topic. Stay with me. There's three ways that you can view sex, okay? Which one of these three is your view? Two of these are incorrect and sinful views of sex. One is what I believe to be correct, godly, and a biblical view of sex. You guys ready for this? Here's, number, here's the first one. There's no blanks for this in your notes. If you want to write it down, you can. The first way you can view sex is as God. That means that it's all you talk about. It's all you think about. It's all that's on your brain. You give your money to it. You give your time to it. You give your energy to it. You give your effort to it. You give your emotion. Your emotions are all wrapped up into it. You worship it. You sacrifice to sex. That means sex is your God. You can view sex as God. The second way you can view it is gross. That means, ugh, yucky. It's gross. You never talk about it. It's nasty. You definitely shouldn't be talking about it in a church. Perhaps you grew up in a home where no one talked about it and you didn't learn anything about it until you had those awkward health classes in middle school and high school. You know what I'm talking about? They had the textbook and the pictures and, ugh, and everybody's giggling and laughing. They say, oh, no, sex is gross. It's disgusting. Don't talk about it. As parents, um, I know there's a couple parents here. As parents, I think it's particularly important for us to look at this because if we don't teach our children about this from a biblical perspective, the world is going to teach them what to think about it. 
And every day we are bombarded with sexually explicit messages and advertisements. And each one of those messages are giving us the world's perspective on, on sex, on how to view sex. So as parents, it's super important that we teach our children and we give them a biblical perspective of it. Here's the third way you can view it, and I think this is the correct way. You can view sex as a gift. It's not God. It's not gross. It's a gift. It's a gift given to us from God to be given, to be stewarded, to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. It's neither God nor gross. It's a gift from God. And in light of all I just mentioned, can you see why as followers of Jesus, as imitators of God, as saints, we don't do obscene and foolish talking or crude joking? Do you see why? Instead, we give thanks. We give thanks. We give thanks to God because this is a beautiful and precious gift given to us. Here's number five in your notes. The last thing we're going to look at from our pastors today is this, to live and surrender to one. Live and surrender to one. Paul says it this way, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Friends, we are living for this present kingdom not realizing that there's a better kingdom awaiting us. The kingdom of Christ and of God. So many place all their efforts and all their energies and all their resources and emotions into a kingdom that is fading. Everyone worships. Every single person worships. The question is who or what are you worshiping? You either submit and surrender and worship Christ as king or you worship surrender, submit, and sacrifice to someone or something else. Oftentimes, the person we'd rather worship is ourselves. if we're honest. If you choose to satisfy your own sinful desires, apart from experiencing God's grace and mercy and forgiveness in Jesus, then you are an idolater. You worship at the altar of self. You sacrifice to self. You put your desires, your wishes, your greed above God's wishes and desires for you. Let me be clear. Paul is not talking about saints who fall or sin. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're on a journey and you're in the process of becoming more like Christ every day. And you will fall and you will sin. Just like the song that we sang just a moment ago. Paul himself said elsewhere that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The key word here, if you guys want to circle it in verse 5, circle the word idolater. That's the key word. Would you rather live your life apart from God's word, apart from God's will, apart from God's best for your life? Would you rather fulfill your sinful desires and do with your body whatever you wish rather than obey God? Then you are a worshiper. But you're not of Jesus. You're not a worshiper of Jesus who merits all worship and all praise and all glory and all honor. You are a worshiper of self. You are a worshiper of sex or pleasure or, or fame or greed or whatever, whatever have you. Friends, as real as the kingdom of God is, so is hell. And ultimately hell is the fulfillment of one's sinful, prideful, and greedy desires. If you want to live your life on earth without God, 
why would God force you to spend eternity with Him in heaven? If you want to live your life independent of God, if you want to live your life sinfully and pridefully, fulfilling every greedy desire, and you want to live without God, why would He force you to be with Him in heaven and spend eternity with Him? Ultimately, hell is God giving you what you begged for your whole life. If you choose to live your life as an idolater and as a worshiper of self, hell is an eternity without God, with people who also choose to live a life without God. Here's what you need to know. In the beginning, everything that God created was good. Everything He created was good. But sin corrupted and destroyed God's original design and His good design. But Jesus entered the world with a passionate love for you and for me to bring about redemption and bring about the restoration of all things back to God's original design. Today, you have a decision before you. You can submit to the Lordship of Jesus. You can surrender your life to Him. You can acknowledge your sin. You can acknowledge your need for a Savior. You can put your faith in Him. You can accept His free gift of salvation. It's here. It's ready for you right now. You can accept it if you want. Or you can reject Jesus. You can live your life as you please. You can do with your body as you please. You can surrender to your selfish, greedy, and perverse desires. You can do that. That's your decision. You can decide to live for Jesus or you can decide to live for yourself. But you got to make a decision. It's up to you. But if you ask me, what God has for you is so much better. It's so much better. The eternal reward is so much better. But beyond the obvious and eternal reward, the earthly reward is better. When you live within God's design and the best for you, guys, it's just better. But you decide. You decide. If you decide to follow Jesus, we'd love to be your community, your support system, your family, and help you in your walk with Jesus. That's the decision you want to make today. And you haven't made Jesus Lord and Savior, we would love to walk alongside you. In fact, if everybody took out their connection cards right now on the back, there's an option there. If you want to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, you can check that off. Let us know. And we'd love to follow up with you during the week. We'd love to put a Bible in your hand. We'd love to be your support system, to be your family, and help you be a follower of Jesus Christ. But ultimately, guys, the decision is yours. And I'm not going to force you. <laughs> That's not the type of church we are. I'm not going to force you to follow Jesus. The decision is yours. Who do you want to worship? Do you want to worship Jesus or do you ultimately want to worship self? The decision is yours. If you choose to follow Jesus, we want to be your family, your support system. Even if you don't, even if you're here today and you say, you know, Danny, I hear all that. I, I can't quite make the decision just yet. We still want to walk alongside you. We still want to love you. We still want to be your family. We want to help because we pray and we know that eventually, I, I truly believe, if you stick around long enough, the Holy Spirit will draw you to Jesus. And ultimately, you're going to see your need for a Savior. So we would love to help you make that decision. Guys, I know that this topic can be a heavy one. There was no jokes. There was no happy stories or anything like that. But it's God's Word. And you have to make a decision. Is God's Word relevant? Can you apply it to your life? Is it true? If it is, if you draw that conclusion, then you have to live your life according to God's Word. Otherwise, reject it altogether. But I pray and I hope that you see 
God's original design, what He intended for sex and for everything else that's been damaged by sin, is so much better. It's so much better. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank You that our identity is adopted. Our identity is loved and cherished and cared for by our Heavenly Father. We thank You that our identity is saint and that we are made righteous and our sins are forgiven because of Christ's work on the cross. Help us live our lives each day in a way where we are becoming more like Christ. For those in the crossroads between worshiping self or worshiping Jesus, I pray that your spirit would convict them and lovingly bring them to the cross where they might ultimately surrender to Jesus. We give you thanks and we pray in your precious son's name. Amen and amen.